episode 112, O'Brien McMahon. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Today, we're talking about prioritizing employee needs, and my guest has a model for it. It really got me thinking, A, and B, I love systems, and this is not only a system, but a visual illustration that is so helpful to prioritizing leadership efforts. You're going to love this episode with O'Brien McMahon. Brian, welcome to Gut Plus Science. I'm so much looking forward to sharing your come from around leadership prioritization today on this episode. So let's start with having you share the concept of this hierarchy for employee needs and where it came from and why you're so passionate about it. The nature of my work, I'm a total rewards consultant with Lockton, and we help companies build their benefits plans, their compensation plans, their retirement plans, and and some peripheral stuff around there. So my job, I'm out talking to heads of HR, heads of finance, other business leaders all the time. And one of the fun parts of my job is understanding what they're trying to do with their business, how they're building their culture, you know, how they approach the people side of the business to try to drive business results. And everybody's dealing with the same people goals, which is how do we get the most out of our people? How do we build a successful business? How do we attract? How do we retain? How do we provide an environment where people are motivated every day? And so I, I'm just interested in those topics on my own and then obviously uh, am tied to them through work. And so I had been really focused on the rewards piece of this. I'm really interested in leadership and so had you know have read a lot of books on leadership and done seminars on leadership and things like that. And then you know, I was just trying to think of what really makes a difference for an employee. What can an employer really do to create the best environment? And I don't know how I came up with it as the hierarchy, but I was thinking of sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs one day, and I was trying to fit all these pieces in, and it just sort of like clicked into place. And I made a lot of sense to me. And so I've been talking about it more and more, and and I think I think it does make sense. And so what what it is that the hierarchy of employee needs is essentially just thinking through what people want, what they're looking for from employment. And so the, the levels are rewards and compensation at the bottom, leadership, mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And I, you know, we can dive into those a little bit. I think, I think rewards and leadership are kind of the foundational elements. And then the really the the motivators are once you once you escalate and provide at least a baseline rewards and compensation and at least a basic level of leadership, then you can start to really motivate people by helping them build mastery in their craft, giving them autonomy to do the job and and helping align that job with a purpose. So I'll stop there to see where you want to go with that. But that that's what it is. And that's sort of the origin story of how I put it together. Well, a lot to unpack there, and I'm excited about it. So listeners, thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we're going to get that visual of a pyramid, and we're going to walk through it. And my first question for O'Brien is, when we look at you know the foundation being comp, bin, rewards, why? 
Well, so if you think about Maslow's actual hierarchy, the first two levels are your physiological needs and safety. And I think that that's essentially what those rewards are providing. So you think about compensation is the financial fuel that every one of your employees is going to live their entire lives on, right? It's going to be the thing that helps them build the lifestyle that they've always had in their head. It's going to help them go out and check off their bucket list, right? Travel the world, do the things that they want to do, provide for their family. So, so all of that comes from the compensation they're going to get from you. Whereas that's kind of the fuel benefits are the protection. So when people get sick, I mean, th those are some of our darkest days, right? When, when we, or even more, our loved ones get sick, we want to make sure that they're taken care of and that we don't have to think too much, or it's not going to put us in a terrible financial position if somebody were to get sick. And then retirement, the retirement plans that we offer our people, I mean, that's how we help perpetuate all of this to the end of somebody's life and make sure that they're protected even beyond employment. So I, I just think that those three elements really provide just a foundation of what people are looking for. And if you're not checking those boxes for people, they're going to go somewhere else where they can find it. Like you might have a lot of purpose, but if they can't put food on the table, it's going to be hard to keep people there. You know, or you might provide like some, you might be the best at training your people, but if child who gets sick is going to bankrupt them or, you know, they're going to have to go worry about it and, and they're not protected, you know, they're not going to be with you for long either. So I, that's where I think that that element is just the, the foundational piece of it's, it's sort of the bare minimum of what people are looking for. And I think you just said it perfectly, you know, you could have all the purpose in your role and great leaders that you work alongside, which is typically the glue that unlocks engagement. But if you don't have the basic needs met, you can't sustain in that role. So I, I like how we level there. Before we start climbing the pyramid here, I'd, I'd love to understand from you, what mindset shift do you suggest or you just see the need for leaders to take? I guess, like, what are they typically doing wrong when it comes to structuring that, that foundation of comp benefits rewards correctly? I don't want to say that people are doing this wrong because it's going to be so unique for every group. And you think about across different industries, uh, different size companies, different stage companies, you know, they're not, everybody's going to be able to offer the same thing. And so it, it is going to be dependent, but I, I think the biggest shift for some leaders, if they haven't made it is to really look at employees as people and not just as people who show up to do a job and really think through and try to empathize as you're doing some of this strategic work, what is important to our people? What are their basic needs? And if you have a terrible comp structure, but you've got some rich benefits, you know, maybe you have an opportunity to maybe lower your benefits a little bit and meet some of those base needs from a compensation standpoint or, or vice versa. But I think just, just really trying to empathize with your people, looking at the demographics and understanding who your people are and where they are at different stages of their lives, and then trying to be purposeful in meeting those basic needs as best you can. So because each company is unique, you said it's not like they're doing it wrong per se, but each one does it unique to be strategic about their employee benefits and pay. I bet you've worked with a lot of companies that have knocked this out of the park. Like they really sat down, reflected and built a strong foundation for their hierarchy or this pyramid. You have any real life examples you could share a story? So I have a, a client that 
is in the banking industry, the financial services industry. And they were shifting from more of a brick and mortar operation to a fully digital operation. And so we, we were brought in kind of even before that happened, they were wanting to get more strategic, but then we were there for the whole thing. And we had a lot of conversations around who is the workforce today? How is that workforce changing? And what are the needs of this new type of person? And so they wound up doing some things with their compensation structure, making sure that they were aligned with the market and were able to compete from that standpoint. And then we helped them on the benefit side to look at their core plans, make sure that they were providing the level of protection that those people were coming to expect. It was a little bit more of a higher paid, heavier competition marketplace. So we we did a lot of planning on what the future employee would look like or or you know a set of future employees and they were able to then be very purposeful in how they added how they built their core offerings and then also in this case because they were uh, in such a highly competitive market add some different perks and try to get at some higher level needs like mental health that maybe they hadn't been addressing before. And I promise we're going to start climbing this pyramid soon but I've got another question. So Foundation is is so important in anything, like that that strong foundation. I'm just digging in, and I know this is your expertise area. So, talk a little bit about best practices to making employee incentives powerful. So, when you say incentives, what are you thinking when you when you say incentive? So, you know, when I think sometimes a structure of sales teams, they have you know their base, and then they have comp plans based on results, and then you know, some kind of a bonus that gets them a trip to a great place. And so everybody's working on this. It's very gamified, for example, or maybe an entire company um, is challenged to work on core values. And then there are bonuses that at the end of the year are paid out based on those habits or those behaviors. I wondered if you could speak to just, you know, those, those employee incentives for, you know, those extra perks done well, that really do get employees motivated and really maximize this, this bottom level, if you will. I think there's a misconception often that some of these short-term incentives are going to really create a lot of motivation and that they're going to, they're going to just lift performance in, in a significant way. And I go back to Daniel Pink's book drive a lot. I'm not sure if I said that earlier, but, uh, I go back to that a lot. It, it, form the top of the hierarchy that I outlined. And the research that, that he and others have done have shown that financial incentives really don't drive performance. They can motivate you to take a job and they can get you excited about going to work because you have the ability to earn. But to actually do a better job at the job, money is not what really motivates people in that way. That's, that's where mastery, autonomy, and purpose come in. That's what people really want and makes them feel fulfilled and motivated. I think where incentives work well is to align behavior. So if you're going to put an executive incentive plan in place, you want to understand what do you really want that executive focused on? What behaviors of theirs are going to really drive business results or culture results, right? That could be important too. And then incent those behaviors. And then that drives behavior. And then you give them the ability to master their craft, 
give them autonomy to do the job and, and you make it purposeful. And that's where they really get motivated to do the job. And then, you know, the, the last thing I'll add too, because to your point of like making it fun, gamification, all of that, I think that's important too. And what I've encouraged some clients to do is look at your values, look at the purpose of your business, understand why people are coming to the job every day. Like what is it that's really resonating? And then try to find just one or two fun, unique, authentic ways to reward or incent your people. So like an example of that, you know, I like your example of going on the trip. Like if you're all about travel and, and celebration and living in the moment, celebrating wins and sales and that kind of thing, then like a big sales trip at the end of the year would be great and really be authentic to your business. If you are a travel company or if you are an education company, then maybe offering people a sabbatical, you know, after a certain period of time to go explore something they've always wanted to explore with the caveat that they have to come back and then present on it to the employees to present, you know, what they learned on their sabbatical, you know, something like that might be really fun and authentic. So for another company where you really expect people to be at the office and work all the time, really appreciating that and maybe providing like home cleaning services for them you know, might be something that really pops and feels authentic and people go, man, they really value me. So you can do it in a number of different ways. My advice is always figure out who you are and who your people are and why they come and then give them something unique and authentic. So good. I'm glad we dug in on that. Now we'll start climbing up this pyramid here. So number two is leadership. Yes. You had said before, I think even that, you know, usually you think of leadership as the most important and it really is the door that opens up everything else in the business. And, and I totally agree. I just think you got to slot in that one base level below it just to make sure that people, you know, will even come to the job. But then once they walk in the door, leadership is everything. And, you know, I'm a, a big fan of uh, Jocko Willink um, and his uh, books and what he teaches on leadership and leadership development. And, you know, he says, there's no bad teams, only bad leaders. And I, I really do buy into that. And I think leadership creates culture, creates performance, solves problems, creates goodwill, retention, all of that. And so that's where I think that that's just that next foundational level that, that you really have to be making sure not only that you're a good executive leader, but that all of your line leaders, all of your managers, you know, even if they're just managing one person, that they're good leaders, that, that the people who are following those folks want to follow them, that they're creating a good environment. And I think one, one more thing I'll add to that is, you know, I talk to a lot of clients who want to put in wellness programs as, you know, sometimes it's to drive the cost of the benefits program down. That's a big one, but it's also as, as a cultural element that they want to create this environment of health and well-being, And that's great. Love that. We can do that all day long. But if you're trying to solve a cultural problem with some kind of program like that, I think you're missing the mark. And, and I've advised some clients to save the money on wellness and invest it in training their leaders. Because ultimately, I think the thing that, that has the biggest impact on employee well-being is the environment that they show up to every day. And that environment gets created by the leaders. I couldn't agree more. Love it. So let's take the next step up. Number three, climbing the pyramid. And that is, did you say development? 
So Daniel Pink lists in his book Drive that the three things that really lead to motivation are mastery, autonomy, and purpose. So mastery would be the third one. But essentially, if, you, if you're an employer and you're trying to help your employees create mastery, it's development, right? How are you developing your people? Are you putting them on a path so that they are constantly learning, constantly challenged, that they have opportunities to grow and make mistakes and come back and try again? And that they feel like at the end of their career, they're going to be experts and that they get to sit in front of a client or put out a, a product that is really top notch. I love that. So mastery, autonomy, and purpose are the top of the, the very top, right? Well, I think, yeah, I think it's mastery. And then I, like I was trying to figure out in my head, you know, what order would you put those in? And I think, I think you can not have a lot of autonomy at first, as long as you're helping people with mastery, right? The first step is you, you really do have to watch how they're doing the job and you have to teach them and show them how to do that. So there's not as much autonomy at first, but once people start to exhibit mastery, even just a basic level, that's where you, you then sort of let the, the rope out a little bit and let them go a little bit farther and give them that autonomy. And then purpose sort of shrouds the whole thing. You know, everybody wants to do meaningful work. I think we all want to leave a legacy uh, and have an impact on the world in some way, you know, even if it's a, a minor way. And so that's where I, I think purpose kind of like self-actualization at the top of Maslow's pyramid sort of encompasses everything. So what do the authentic, vulnerable practices of great leaders look like that habitually check in on all of this? Like, how does it show up in a one-on-one -on -one meeting? How does it show up in quarterly team rally sessions? Like, what does it look like to make sure that all of these things are in checks and balance, I guess? I don't profess to be a leadership expert. I know people who are, uh, and I try to lean on them and learn as much as I can. But some of the things that I try to think about, I don't, I can't credit this to the right person, but I, I heard somebody recently say, I think it was um, somebody from the military say that being a leader is really just being a good servant of your people. Like really good leaders are just solving the problems of the people that they're leading and, and then getting out of their way and letting them do what they're supposed to be doing. And so I think good leaders are, are honed into what the problems are for their people and they're working hard to solve them. And then the other piece of that that I think a lot about is psychological safety. So creating an environment where people feel like they can speak up where they can try, even if it you know doesn't work out or doesn't go well, that they that they're encouraged to try, to keep going, to grow, to develop, to have opinions, you know, and to voice those opinions. So, I think if you can create an environment where people feel that psychological safety, and then you can be keyed in to solving their problems and making their ability to do their work easier, I mean, I think that gets you a lot of the way. So I want to share with you a assessment. It's just a very simple one-off conversation assessment, nothing fancy that I've used that, gosh, I'd have to figure out where I could credit this from. I'm sure it was some great book um, that somebody could reach out and email me and let me know, but I've been using it for quite a while and there are five questions and, and I'll share those. And then you tell me if the, you think that there's anything missing as far as this being like a good routine way to check in on all areas really being a servant to our people. So number one is uh, on a scale of one to five, does my work use my abilities? Number two, scale of one to five, does the way I get to work fulfill me? Number three, scale of one to five, are my rewards great? 
Number four, do I feel capable in the work that I'm doing? And number five, is my work advancing my career? So the way that I've used that in the past is just in a conversation and the people that I've worked with for a while know that this is like a regular thing. And we, we do this not to do anything other than uncover something that's not flowing, you know, that does not feel like it is helping to succeed completely. Um, and it's been really, really helpful for me. I wondered if you think just in that little, I call it the assessment of work fulfillment, anything missing there? I mean, I don't know that anything's missing, but I think, I mean, I was kind of smirking as you were reading through those because they're all checking in on mastery, autonomy, and purpose, right? It's like, does my work use my abilities? Am I, am I able to use my skills to create something? Am I advancing? That's, you know, building mastery. Do you enjoy the work? And are you given, I, I forget how you said it, but you know, am I, do I enjoy the way I work and am I given reins to do the work the way I want to do it? That's autonomy. So I think those are great in checking in with your people. I think the other question might just be, what do you need to do work better? Or what's getting in your way of, of doing the best work that you can do? That's good. So just, you know, suggestion to throw out there is, you know, just simple assessments that are more conversational. And mine have been, this has been quantitative that then leads to conversation. But I like your thought of adding a question that is qualitative, that just opens the door for them to be able to share. Well, and that's where you're going to get the question. That's where you're going to understand what you can solve for them as a leader. And I, you know, I like that too. One, one thing I'll say, because I, I think some people find it awkward or uncomfortable to use a formal structure like that. Like, Hey, these are my people. I, you know, I'm going to come in, I'm going to check on them. I don't want it to be overly formal, but I, I think that that's the wrong way to think about it. I think that formalizing it a little bit actually helps make sure that you are giving them everything that you need, that you're, you're sourcing any sense of contention, any problem that they have, that you're really, you're actually doing better by them by making sure that you're going through your checklist of things. So because you're going to miss something if you're just winging it. Well, this has been awesome so far, really enjoying the conversation today and now transitioning into learning more about O'Brien and adding a new book to our recommended reading list, probably, and just uh, learning some new things that will help us uh, learn more and, and just build a connection here. So all right, here's my questions. The first one is, what is your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read to share with our leader listener audience? So I have five books that I love and go back to over and over and over again and think that from like a success, growth, productivity, happiness standpoint have like had the biggest impact on my life. And so I think my favorite is The Alchemist which is the only f fiction book on there. But I think that's a great book around just a reminder that we're all on this journey. It's going to twist and turn and you know, you got to just follow your path. Another one would be meditations by Marcus Aurelius for that one. You got to find the right translation. There was one recently done by a scholar at university of Virginia. It's got, I think a bird or a feather on the front uh, with a black and red cover. That one is the most accessible that I've found. Essentialism is a great book about doing less better and helping helping set boundaries. The Compound Effect is great. Talks about how it's the little things that you do every day that are going to lead to your outsized wins or losses. And then The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield is just one of my favorites about 
to really motivate you and understand what it means to be a professional and get things done in the world. So what is your favorite hobby when you're not working? My favorite hobby would, I would probably say is, uh, writing. So I, uh, have been into creative writing, fiction writing for a while. And uh, a couple years ago tackled writing a novel and still sort of tinker with it and, and enjoy doing that on the side. And how about a favorite vacation spot? Iceland. So my wife and I went to Iceland a, a couple years ago and you think of Iceland as this very small island kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And you get there and you go out into the country and you go out into the landscape and it is massive. I mean, it's just the cliffs and the waterfalls and, and everything just makes you feel so small. And it, it just had this impact on my wife and I where, you know, we would stand at the base of this waterfall and in our head, we're on this small island and yet we feel so tiny. And it just, to me, that's, that's awe. Like that's that awe feeling that like sort of puts you in your place in the universe. And it's just one of the coolest places, like everywhere we went, everything we did sort of created that feeling. And it was just one of the uh, most spectacular trips we've been on. And O'Brien, how can our listeners connect with you after the show and also plug your podcast here too? So uh, the podcast is called People Business with O'Brien McMahon and uh, just explores all kinds of individual and interpersonal dynamics trying to help folks become the best versions of themselves while also helping the folks around them become uh, the best collective version that they can be. And then, you know, if you want to reach out to me, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn uh, or my email address, which is just uh, firstname.lastnameobrien.mcmahon at lockedin.com. And uh, yeah, would be happy to talk about anything that we've talked about here. O'Brien, thank you for joining and sharing and energizing me and our listeners today. Here's my truth you can act on from our time together. Number one, we must meet the basic needs of pay and benefits, which is security, to sustain engagement long-term. It is the foundation of the pyramid for a big reason. Number two, reminder, financial incentives don't drive performance. It's mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And number three, keep in mind that incentives should be tied to behavior. And four, being a good leader is being a good servant that provides psychological safety. Really good nuggets there. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.